Welcome to the Fish Tea Podcast, where we talk about LGBTQ politics, pop culture, growing up in the Caribbean, life in the diaspora, and the work it takes to sustain love, life, and laughter in the midst of all the white noise. I'm M. I'm Glenn White. I'm Kareem. We're giving you everything, honey. Get into this mug. We're serving you a hot cup of fish tea. Bottom Bottom up. Listen, you watch Karim fingernail them. You see when the nail them tall? You watch Karim fingernail them as she gets sick. Listen, <laughs> when I need to send, need to send me the guidebook because when I say count, I know you have them for watch finger, which is this. <laughs> so it's three counts after I said, get into the smug. I, I, I did three counts. One, two, three, <laughs> bottoms all. <laughs> when one person caught it, work with Jesus. I just watch watch Kareem. All right. So watch Kareem thing. All right. Noted. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. In my long time, in a seal. Long, long time, in a seal. Years, girl. Where you go? The first episode, we just stayed upon social media as usual. I carry on. You know, the snow ass keys. How you been? Child, I feel like a scratch record at this point. I'm tired of the work. Welcome. Welcome. We've been expecting you. (laughs) It's been good. Um, I've just been trying to get out as much as I can. Um, There's there are not many opportunities for that, as you know, the snow every minute, and then we should me live in Nagwan, and the people then refuse to shovel them sidewalk. So I don't really have nowhere to walk unless I'm going to the middle of the road. So I don't really try to go outside. But yeah, I went skiing um, on Saturday with my um, major professor. She's like the most awesome person I've ever met in my life. Um, it was fun. Hopefully it again at some point. And, you know, talk one steep at Ilka where you kind of depend on the flat part. I beg your pardon. She's the most awesome, awesome person I've met since I've been here. Okay, me never hear that qualifier. You missed it. You listen, Glenroy, you need to listen. <laughs> okay, because it would have been an issue. The podcast would have stopped. Would have gone behind the scenes and work it out and then cut over intro and uh, excuse. <laughs> I'm going to need her name. Listen, I'm going to read this. Listen, I'm going to need her name. I just have a social security number. Just, yeah, no. just Let's just say I bring down for me. How are you, Glenroy? I'm good. <laughs> Child almost killed me at the gym today, right? Also, children, first of all, Lent is a trick. Lent is a trick. Lent tells us it's 40 days. We are coming with the 40 days where Jesus did in a day with Lent's far. Lent don't count Sunday, so I'm 46 days. And I personally think that my Lent restriction is not for count on Sunday. Because if Lent not count on Sunday, the restriction is not for count on Sunday, right? A, a Sunday is not count on because it's almost like, you know, it done at the beginning of Holy Week, which is also another period of fasting. Yes, count the 40 days doesn't include Sundays. Sundays, because oh, Sundays were meant to celebrate because of the mm-hmm. idea that, you know, Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. Okay. So the Sunday then don't count. So 46 days, me really, I got in at a struggle for. Man, I eat no fried meats. Man, I eat no burger. Man, I eat no rice. Man, I drink no, no, no juice and no soda nothing. Right, I'm not drinking alcohol except for sexual purposes. Okay. So, <laughs> but think about it again. Forty six days close that. If I think about it, summer come up right around the Canada. So she cropped up season and boom shot season. I mean, you never really need, but, but think about it. 
Which you know what, girl? You know, you know create your stomach. When, you, yeah, when, they, when they run, go up and go to the one day, um, the, the, up at the hotel, and them something. They imagine that. They imagine all. 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 They me ask me, I deal with that. You know, work never feels so stressful. Now we care, school, all right. Um, depending on them in other class, we let them work. I appreciate that and prepare us. So. And then the only other thing we we'll say is big up fetish secrets. My products, them come. Right? We get one for the front and the back. Big up yourself. Big up yourself, Shadi. We get one for the front and the back. I must say, it's nice. We have to try it out. So we'll like, yeah, nice. Come mini review before Shadi come on. For the next episode. Nice, 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 nice. I can tell them now which product the next time. And then I'm sure they give me tips on how I can maximize the benefits. But nice, well, nice. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've my address on my birthday. I come up so. Listen, man, don't as necessary anymore. They're necessary, you know, but don't as necessary. <laughs> Maybe we talk off the air, though. The podcast <laughs> can't notice, but girl, I'm right there with you. <laughs> Kareem, how have you been? Locks for love, Madeir. Um, it's been a weird week, honestly. Um, I, my husband did the surgery Wednesday. Finally, he's good. He's recovering well. The expected discomfort, no surprises. Um, but I went to go see him on Thursday. No, Friday I went to go see him. And I didn't want to go because I have like this weirdness when it comes to hospitals. Like I don't want to go. I like this, this everything. I just, it's all negative to me. So I didn't want to go. But then when I got there, and, you know, I had to be, like, helping him with stuff, which kind of weirded me out. Because mentally, I to see him in that state where he needed help being fed and stuff like that. Um, it did freak me out. And I was weird. But I didn't want to leave. And then, y'all, I got to my car. And I don't know what overcome Goody, but overcome Goody just that, uh, just this big, cold, uncontrollable balling. And I just, I don't know what was happening in that moment. But I feel better. My birthday was yesterday. I didn't even do much. I didn't even post much. It was just like, blah. Um, but I woke up today and I'm feeling much better and ready to take on the week. Because, again, Goody tried to cover the hurl on. So. Happy belated birthday, sweetie. I feel like I never see you right. I never really post nothing. I never see nothing. I never mention nothing. Happy birthday, girl. Happy birthday, girl. I know saying all of the place has snowed on, but still. Oh God! Unusual M Cladem. Unusual treat my good. When I did the girl birthday, because unusual say more for do when we come on the podcast. Unusual. When was when was your birthday, Karim? My belated birthday. The twentieth yesterday. Oh, yesterday. Oh God. Well, on the M, put it. Let me see your finger, them now. People, people, watch on comedy. Girl, watch M Guanya. Come out. I practice because. I have this nice plan for my birthday. I'm going to get used to them. What's yes, mean, I mean, not too much people were born around that time of year. Yeah. What, what, what is it? About you're in good company, sweetie. You're in good company. Oh, for sure. Anyway. <laughs> um, I hear a topic, so you can't introduce it. I feel like, you know, I know I'm going to do something like this. But, <laughs> all right. So, thanks again, viewers, for tuning in. Um, to our podcast with listeners because I mean we're not still really cute and stuff, but we're not still the same way. So today we have an interesting topic lined up for you. We're talking about navigating non-queer spaces. Um, 
So, I mean, like, what's a non-queer space? We're going to get into all of that. And on the podcast today, we have with us... Uh, what is it now, Kevin? Blogger and so, communications and generalist. Blogger and communications generalist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just learned that. So, talk to you, Kevin. How is it going? What is a communications generalist? All right. Um, thanks, guys, um, for having me. A communications generalist, um, it was the best thing that encompassed who I am. So, I have training in communication. I did mass communication work in radio, work in PR, but I find myself slipping into social media, doing a little marketing stuff here. And I, I just wanted a catch-all description that covers everything. So I'm a generalist because I do most of the stuff in communication and I don't necessarily have a specialist area that I say, this is what I do. So I can't tell that I'm a PR person by itself because I like to do all of them. So that that, that helps to describe me without forcing me to choose. Okay. So that's an eight cook and backlash of communication. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right I love that. <laughs> right I found your things. Yeah. All right. So so um so what is it to, to to have a conversation about um what it is like as uh queer persons um existing in a space that's not typically regarded as a safe space? For LGBTQ people, um, that's how that's how I think of a non-queer space um, at the end of the day. Because I know we have a, we have a lot of um, spaces that, in some ways, are created to facilitate, you know, the expression of um, the community. So we think about like the civil society organization spaces that exist. We're talking. I'm. We're. Lit- I, I'm thinking. Thinking about everything that's not a part of that. And so, thank you for joining us, Kevin. Um, I don't know where I want where I want to start with this, but I guess just a general um description of what it is like working where you were. Mm-hmm. person. Um, for me, I think it's been generally okay. The attitude towards, I, I have to say, I've been fortunate in terms of my journey working because it has never been a thing where I was concerned about my status, um, being employed, and you know that being a consideration. So I think it's something that I have been privileged enough to not have to be concerned about. And I have to say that some of the attitudes I have seen from management, um, I'm a current place of employment, it has not been exclusionary. So you don't hear any talking or see anything happening that would you would assume that excludes you or anything. So there's no active effort. So you, know, you work somewhere and they would put out policies that are clearly discriminatory and stuff like that. That's not mm-hmm. something that I have experienced. I'm very thankful for that. And um, for the most part, um, people are not, you, you, people don't get singled out because of it. And you're you're not you don't have to be dealing with any repercussions because of any even perception of it. So that's my, that's been my experience in in my current work 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 situation. Okay, so I guess I'd probably be interested to know if you're out at work. Are you out at your place of work? Well, the thing is, out is so. It's it, it an interesting question. I understand, yeah, I understand yeah, yeah, the whole yeah. um, conversation about being yeah. out, but um, right. in, people at work will say, you're queer? 
they can is it is it confirmed they, they would assume no 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 they they would assume they would assume because confirmation take only for things they can assume i don't know how they're going to confirm but they can assume <laughs> i don't even know how somebody can confirm <laughs> I wonder where we can confirm. And let me tell you, and the, the reason why the reason why I ask, the reason why I'm asking yeah. you, um, Kevin, because I suspect that the the experience might be different for somebody who is confirmed mm-hmm. to be to be gay or somebody who is mm-hmm. suspected to be gay. Right. So that's the reason why True. I ask because even True. my True. own experience, um. It, I I was pretty much forced out. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a joke of the closet. Um, a few year a few years ago. Um, I've been there for almost a decade, and a few years ago, um, something happened that kind of just let the cat out of the bag, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of uncomfortable for a while, but then, you know, when when I really sat and thought about it, it was really all in my head. In right. terms of the, the sort of anxieties mm-hmm. I was feeling, because really and truly nothing changed um, with how my coworkers treated me. Um, when we used to go on on projects across the country, we still have conversations like nothing never happened, and it was it was pretty much the same. So uh, that's interesting. Um, so is your is your boss or section leader i don't know how it's structured mm-hmm. are they male or female because, because that we had an interesting conversation the other day about working for men versus working for women as queer persons. right um my experience for most of my career i've always worked for women so i've always had female bosses and it has never been a it has never been a thing or a question um and i don't know if this is something to do with me because i think a lot of times when it comes to navigating spaces it has to do with one how you deal with and consider your own personal space and privacy and so if it is that your comfort level leads you to a place where you can have certain conversations with a superior where they feel comfortable to ask that question then that's a different circumstance. I've never been in a situation where I have a superior asking me any kind of confirmatory question. If they have an assumption to make, they can. Um, it's not like, but, but it has never gotten to that place. But uh, the dynamic between like a female boss, uh, I think is very interesting because it is no, it's not an issue. Um, and the other thing I realized too is that a lot of times in dealing with, even the thought about what other people think is a lot of times in our head. Not that they're not issues, but we create the scenarios and it's almost like we're fulfilling them ourselves because sometimes the people just want you to focus on your work and whether or not you can do it. That's their concern, if you can do it well. And some people, they come into the workspace and then say, all right, can the person do the job well? And if they can, okay, we'll take whatever else comes. So a lot of times we put a lot on our shoulders in trying to deal with it and make it even worse for ourselves. That that's how I kind of think about it. Um, I mean, you can't blame me. You can't blame me sometimes because I mean, you grow up um, in a certain family situations, and they go to school and they read the news and you yep. hear people talk about it. So I guess it it, it kind of justifies sometimes when we have um, yeah. that sort of reaction. Like, and I guess it it offers us some level of protection, you know, because Rather than thinking everybody 
rather than thinking that there's not a problem and then you get too comfortable and behave a certain way in those spaces, you're cautious, you know, you tread the waters. Um, carefully. Yeah, but what is the point that Kevin is making, though? Because I feel like the point he is making um, is that <clears throat> oftentimes we, have, we create narratives in our head about what the world outside is like. And through the creation of those narratives, we develop personas that, one, not necessary for how we navigate the space and create the kind of tensions that otherwise we wouldn't have to deal with if we never create those tensions. Not that there wouldn't be challenges and limitations, but because we've created those notions and are, ex and are adding at a self-stigma, really. When we stigmatize yeah. ourselves, and then presume people's, that people have certain issues with us. So for example, we can go to, a, uh, let's use a different thing outside of work. You go somewhere and you can't, and somebody gave a bad attitude, bad service. Now, you could presume that yeah, they might give a bad service because they're seeing the news and all of them stop me there. Or we could I just assume, say, good you have a bad day, and it has nothing to do with me. And I think the point is sometimes, and you're right, it's for good reason. And we have these protective walls for good reasons. But a lot of times you have to be mindful of the extent to which we internalize so much that we mm -hmm. create problems that we necessarily did it in the way we think they are. I think that's what he's getting at. Not so much saying that, you know, our, our fault. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I get, that, I get that 100%, you know, but considering, considering too that, you know, you, you don't get, I don't think we pull these narratives out of thin air. So how do, mm -hmm. how do we, how do we um, then assist or, or explain to a person how, how they can possibly look beyond um, a person's reaction um, when they enter a room to think that it possibly may not be about them when they grew up with that sort of experience? I mean, I, I mean, ooh, I mean, I don't know if I want to ask everyone a question before we go to that. Whichever. Because I feel like say, it's about, it, the, the, the easy cliche answer really is self-love. That's the easy mm -hmm. cliche answer. Mm -hmm. um, cliche is right. <laughs> but it's the truth. Like, but yeah, Kevin, so I wanted to know because um, I know for a fact you're working in private sector, so I wanted, but you have worked in, government, in a government agency. Mm -hmm. I wanted to know there was a difference in experience in terms of feeling um, like you've worked in a potent, yeah. you know, relatively yeah. safe space. And, you know, talk to us a little bit about that. Right. It's funny that you asked because up until this point, I never thought about this or it never came back to my mind. When I just started working and I just started, when I just started working, I was working in government and um, I remembered very distinctly the first maybe six months of being employed, I had to work with, so they hired about three of us at the same time. So we all started at the same time and we we're working together. And um, I didn't go to university with these people, so they were new to me there. And um, I remember going there and it was one guy and a girl. And I remember going there and working, you know, and me being me, my unique self, you know, in this situation, and working with this person. And I realized that um, it's like the person kind of licked with somebody who was already there, an older employee. And they would, they would say stuff and throw a little word here and there. 
and and again and make it worse make it worse i was doing well because i came in and you know i'm working in a communication environment i'm doing radio and i came in and we just started we never did the on-air stuff but then when i did what i had to do and i was like you know zing <laughs> you know i did well so it's almost like a target went to my back so it was like me trying to separate I've, i remember i had to have heart to hearts with other employees who, who had become close to over the six months and say, what's going on? I felt like this person was attacking me and they're attacking me, but they're, they're passive aggressive and they were also throwing words otherwise. So I'm going to try to figure out what is it? What, what's going on? Is it that you are homophobic or is it that you have a problem with me? I'm going to try to figure it out. And it took a while to kind of figure, figure out what it was. What I knew though was that and and this is that I came to was that hey, if the person have a problem with me, well, that not change. Come now, let me work. And if it is that something that was going on, I mean, that a part of that, that will have to run its course. And and I must say that's one of the enduring things I've learned in working. No matter how bad it gets, as long as you decide for, and it not get bad enough, you left the job. And as long as you don't decide to leave your job, then it will pass. And I've had other things that happen, not necessarily really, um, homophobia or anything, but just general stuff that happened with your relation with people and you realize that it happened in the past. But one of the biggest things for me in terms of dealing with working in any environment is understanding myself. So you talk about self-love, but I think it also takes a lot of self-awareness and understanding who you are and how people deal with you. So I'm an introvert. So whether or not I am queer, that's going to make me somebody that sticks out, period. So in me understanding that, I also understand how people respond to me, first and foremost. So um, it's not a matter of making the assumption because I can pick up certain things immediately, but also, you know, so it's like a, a double-edged sword for me because you're an introvert, so people might think that certain things they do, you're snubbing them or whatever, but me just not, might not talk to you because I'm not really know you. So people think different things. So you have to deal with that and also the other part and then navigate same way. So that's that, that that's kind of how I try to deal with it, knowing that, yeah, regardless of, you know, my queerness, I'm also an introvert. And that's a burden that some people can't deal with because people want to figure you out and you may not be open enough for them or for their comfort level. So, yeah. I love that, that self-awareness bit because, I mean... People cannot like me because one, them spirit not take away. And we were going to go about that. As Shibata said, we were going to next. <laughs> People cannot like me because we have stink attitude and I realize it. And it does take a certain level of understanding. I mean, for me, understanding how you come off to people to kind of also. So I manage me and, and I make sure I'm managing me. So Anybody, any, anything else that happens thereafter um, is a matter for other people. So I don't take that on. And that, that, that's a conscious decision I made very early on in life. Um, mm-hmm. Even with me, I walk on the road and me, I hear the, bl- the man in my bus, the blank, even with all of those experiences that I have, I don't internalize all of them somebody. Yes, so I, I acknowledge that that is their homophobia, but their homophobia really has very little to do with me until it gets to, and it really gets to that, but it can. But until it mm-hmm. gets to a, a confrontation, that's nah, with me. 
you probably just yeah. have Bossier Blanc for communicate to somebody saying again, even though you probably yeah, go through what mm. or maybe really just want my attention and you don't know how else to do it. And you want me to turn around and look for you and argue with you because that's the only way you think you can get my attention. So I feel like it's a mix, it's kind of, there, there's a lot of work on yourself that we have to do. Because I feel like if we come to our level, and, and it's not about to just putting the work just on queer people, because that's not fair. We need to be in place to make sure that they don't have these experiences. But I think on the flip side, if you there are on a certain level, certain things not going to affect you, but when the lines are crossed, you will, you will make sure Mm-hmm. That it is addressed. Because oftentimes, once we internalize, the people who internalize and, 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 and you know, make certain things bother them, they're not going to make the further step of addressing issues. It's usually the people who are very self-aware, very self-confident and own who they are, who are able to say, all right, me no one of me, because I am in my business, so me therefore no says I you think. So when this confrontation happens, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna have something done about it. But that's my limited experience. You know, I want to write this up for the work part. Yeah. I mean, so I'm like listening to all of you, and you guys are raising like good points, and I identify with all of them, but I'm still kind of conflicted, right? Because in my mind, especially in kind of curating and cultivating safe spaces in the workplace or otherwise, I feel like, like you said, the the responsibility is not only on the queer person, but it still does affect me in a sense that, so I've, the, the, for the few, the limited um, non-affirming or traditionally non-safe spaces that I've been in, I've been able to kind of navigate them without it having to adverse and impact on me and my psyche and all of that but it was always this like and i don't like playing into respectability politics but it's always when it boils down to it before it gets to like oh kareem is really a cool dude he's smart he's blah 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 yada, yada. it's always about how i presented myself right so i've been fortunate to navigate some of these spaces because i don't look like those other gays right when i go into these spaces and so for me, it's always kind of troubling. Like at first, not knowing, before I knew that this was kind of problematic, I used to relish in that, right? Like I'm not those other gays. Like at me, when you see me, I'm polished, I'm this, I'm that. Um, and so in a sense, people can't help but to respect me. And But that's because I like to put myself together like that. I want to, when I walk into a room, I need you to see more. And I do it at times to kind of try to disguise as much my queerness if that makes sense, right? So I know I have the long nails and I know I'm not necessarily gender, um, I'm gender non-conforming, but when you see me walking with um, my well-tailored suit and my trench coat and my very fashionable bag, and I'm like, you know, it's for me, it's kind of like a distracting tool or something of that sort. But then I feel like it always gets mis like it gets carried away and people start comparing you to the other gays. Like, oh, how come they aren't like you? Um, you know, I had no problem with gays if they were just like you. And that 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 is where it becomes kind of problematic for me. And that's when I'm just like, all right, these spaces, and I could see why people would go in with their guards up. Um, because as much as I've been working on myself, I still go into spaces 
And I go in there and I'm like, I decide I make a conscious decision. I'm not going to hold back. But at the same time, I'm still kind of reading the room because I'm like, all right, I need to know. Like, there are no clear indicators. I remember when I started my church, and this is not a professional place, but when I started my church, I didn't like relax until one day I heard my pastor shout from the pulpit that, you know, all are welcome here, gay or straight, black or white, blah, blah, blah. And then Pride Month, she had on like a Pride Month pin on her robe thingy. And I was just like, oh, shit, this is a place that I could be Kareem. But at the same time, leadership sets a tone, but I'm not worried about everybody else in the organization, right? And then, so my guard is still up. So until I get to know Sister M and Sister Glenn Rye on a personal level, my guard is still up when I approach them, right? It's strictly business. Hey, do you know where I should put the bulletins? Hey, do you know where we put the bread and crackers for communion? And so on and so forth. So I don't know. It's it's still very complicated. And I think it's still so like contextual and situational. Um, when it, it depends on the size of the organization. If it's yeah. small, actually, like, you know, it's easier for you to control yourself or control that environment or be able to maneuver that environment. But when it's bigger, as much as leadership is setting the tone, you know, you can't really change attitudes and behaviors just like overnight. And so I've been looking for the policies like, okay, does this have protection for LGBTQ individuals and all those things? I think, and, and I um, agree with um, and identify with a lot of what you said, specifically about the, I, I don't want to call it posturing in a bad way, but just putting on that, um, you know, that professionalism. And I think for me, professionalism is a, a, um, a suit of armor because but not to distinguish myself from anybody else, but to have that represent me so that that is the first thing and the main thing that is spoken about. So like I have um, this thing where I'm at work and in my dealings, I am like completely professional. You know, like I keep that up because that is how I, in my approach to work and getting it done, regardless of what else you might be thinking when I'm speaking to you on the phone, um, my work and what we're talking about in the know is what I want to matter at that moment. It doesn't mean that I'm denying anything else. It just means that my focus at this moment, regardless of whatever you might think is distracting, no matter how loud my tie is or my shirt is, and I used to wear some loud colors. Um, so, you know, it doesn't matter whatever you're seeing. I want what I present and the work I do to speak for me above that, because I hate for myself um, to be defined by one story and one narrative that, oh yeah, he's whatever. You know, I want you to actually give a damn about what I do. Um, I don't consider it necessarily that much of respectability politics as much as it is just getting it done. And the reason why is because even with people I may be close with at work, I don't owe them disclosure either. To me, you get close and we're a friend at work. I don't owe you disclosure. So I can still keep you at that level, but I don't need to disclose anything to you because we're cool and that's fine, you know, but um, I just, I just keep it on a level and you, whatever it is that, you know, you want to disclose at any other level is what you want to. But at that space, for me, it's a comfort to just keep it professional and just say, okay, yeah, if, we, if, we, if we're off work and we're cool and want to be friends or want to have a relationship beyond that, fine. But in the work, work. Because depending on the level of the employee also, that is where certain breakdowns happen. 
So um, as you alluded to, at a certain level, um, certain things, certain conversations may not happen, at least with you. So they might talk about you, but at a certain level. So say, for example, not to disparage drivers, but say you have drivers in the organization and you have maybe ancillary staff and you have other people, they might be the ones, if you interact with them, who might be more willing to say certain things to you or to have certain grosses. At a certain level, you may not, and may even be aggressive towards you. Um, at a certain level, though, you find that it's a, it's a lot more tempered. People are a lot more even keeled. And I guess you would say tolerant because, again, they have to work with you. So they're not going to, as much as they could, the fact is that based on how everything is, they're not go- you find that people are not going to treat you a certain way at a certain level. And that's something I've noticed. And even in my own dealings with people, you find there's a difference um, with how people treat you within a workspace. Kevin literally just said, I'm a profesh bitch. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> but... Like I, I relate, I relate so well to so much of um, that conversation that you three just had. Um, but like, I, you were talking and um, and Kareem as well, and you were saying things like respect, respectability politics, and professionalism. And I don't know why those words trigger me so much. Um, but I guess so. I, I'll share a little bit about my own experience. Um, so when I, when I, the last company I worked for, so I worked with government. I was a teacher before I went there and I decided to leave um, teaching um, because of homophobia. So like teachers would go to the principal and complain. Well, yeah, they would complain about um, how I dressed um, and bring up, bring up um, things like the people I used to um, have around me when I was at um, UA. And I was like, I just, I just, I just didn't get it, but that didn't. While that didn't change the relationship between me and um, the school administration nor the students, it was. I, I personally just felt it was not worth my time to even try and navigate that space because I was a pre-trained teacher, so I never had make no money anyway. So it never worth it. But then when I got to this to, to the company, um, the last one that I worked at. You know, there was a story going around in the office that somebody was denied employment because management thought they were gay. And I was like, wow, um, because I'm gay as fuck. And <laughs> he's straight, actually. But if if you should put the two of us side by side, I guess in some ways he presents as more queer than I do. So you must, you, know, you can't just imagine how bad it was, but he was actually straight. Um, so having gone into the company at that point and, you know, we were having conversations, random conversations, because we used to talk a lot, um, while we were in the office and whenever the issue of gay, gay men, especially came up, you know, it was always likened to pedophilia and that, you know, they shouldn't, they, they should die. And the gully queens were, were in big in the news at that point, um, in time. But there was always that coming into the conversation and all that. And, you know, at that point, while I was in the company, I just came back, but I was 
I had a sort of management position at this, when I when I started just the same. But I was like, I really have to watch myself with them people here because if if they can have these views, no matter how much innovation we bring to the company, no matter how much we improve or add value to them, to them, to them, um, them company, them can kick me out. Yeah. You know, yeah. So yep. I was really watching myself, but then I don't remember when exactly it was, but there was a point when I just decided that I'm over it and I'm just going to be me. I think it was that year. Was it 2016 when I had the black tie girl of pride? Yeah. So it, I think it was that that point I decided that, you know, I'm going <laughs> to just make this shit public. I'm going to just live in my life and whatever. I, I still maintained the level of professionalism, air quotes. Mm-hmm. That was required, <laughs> and but then I started to do a bit more. You know, I started to like push to the boundaries. So that was when I locked my hair. That was when I started to put in hair colors. You know, started to do local mascara, and then you know, dress differently. You know, and then I started the, the, the mood started to change. So the types of conversations that we had were different. Whenever the, the whole issue of sexuality or gender identity or just random um, controversial issues would come up um, in conversation, the opinions were different. So I was like, okay, so it, 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 it's really possible for us as queer people to sort of not just navigate spaces, but sort of create um, our own spaces um, to, be, to be comfortable and, you know, be who we want to be or be who we are rather in in our places of work yeah and I, I thought that was just super interesting um especially for me because trust me the people them did holier than thou and mm-hmm. they believe in other religion and i think it's good too because you're also able to facilitate certain conversations even without acknowledging it and that's been my experience i've been able to facilitate certain conversations without acknowledging my own queerness because for me, queerness and me is a per, is a privacy issue, and we're gonna talk about that separately. Can we consider that privacy is a big deal in our culture? Mm-hmm. Separate, but um, so navigate certain conversations and even facilitate them by calling out people's biases and also giving them perspectives. So, for example, um, I have had coworkers who. We start some conversation come up about the latest person who died, gay person who got killed. And the usual argument, oh, but they kill each other. And we, we go down that road and we interrogate that and provide facts and give them information about, hey, um, okay, no. And you give them information with them to clear upon. And if, if they want to push on, well, that's fine. But we're going to have the conversation because you have been able, because the problem is that a lot of times these conversations happening with these people in workplaces and it's one thing if they think and they're still doing it, they think of somebody in the room that they think is and they're still doing it. It's another thing and the person is not saying anything. It's another thing when the person is actively involved in the conversation because I am challenging what you're saying and I am also presenting a completely different side. It's a complete vacuum. They're talking, they're saying a lot of stuff, they're repeating a lot of tired arguments that they never get the answer to yet or any rebuttal to. And here you are, you know, in their minds, probably playing the devil's advocate, are literally just saying, hey, 
test me. And you have to say what you have to say. And that is how sometimes they are able, and, and the goal is never to change your mind. But for me, it's just a matter of changing the conversation because I'm saying you're talking about the same thing over and over, but you don't have any new information. So I am here to just kind of balance it and change the conversation and give some new information to consider. Because they have some dangerous things and it's based on stuff that they keep repeating over and over again. So you have to do that for, you know, put in and take out and add and subtract because it, it's, it's so, sometimes it's so great thing to hear some of these conversations. So being in that space, you know, have to, you know, do what you can in your way to add your knowledge to the conversation. will be unto you if you don't know and you can't do it, but it's good if you know, and that's why we need to know what's going on so we can actually be a part of these conversations without emotion, but being able to objectively say you're wrong and this is why. Well, nobody, can quest, nobody can question that. This is why. Here are the facts. I'm treating this like a child. So I think we've learned to hate respectability politics, right? Um, and, I, and I want to challenge it because I feel like we've learned to hate that from acad- academia, academic spaces that are very privileged spaces um, in their own ways, not completely, but in their own ways. And, and I think there's a way you have to read respectability politics as survival and strategy, right? People who leverage their respectability are doing that to survive. They're doing that as a means to an end. Cool, I mean, I, yeah. I know you're going to listen to me because I'm so bright. I know you're going to listen to me because of the language I can't use. I know all of them stop me. I know you're going to listen to me because I'm going to come off. Right? And I'm going to leverage that because I'm using that as a means to get it somewhere. It's not because, well, for some people, it, the respectability is the end of the art, but clearly respectability politics can be a way of, like you said, being a part of the conversation. They're going to give you, Kevin, because of your, how you enter into the space. And that has value because, let us be very, very clear, respectability politics only have value in respectable spaces. But we, we need to not pretend that respectable spaces are the only spaces we need to have the conversations. We need to have the conversations in quote-unquote unrespectable spaces. So when they don't hear them, they don't hear them, they don't want to hear the fancy talking and all of them stuff. They don't want to hear the So And that is why in the ghettos, a certain girl can't in them space there and I teach the people them about equality and tolerance and all of them something there. And I feel them one language because respectability don't fly this up. Respectability works in certain spaces and I don't think we should be we should clock it yeah. and clock it apart of people's limitations. But add to that, but I'm just saying yeah. that add to that, respectability looks different in different spaces. Because ghetto right. people have freedom level of respect. So mm-hmm. it looks different. Yeah, yeah, coming on us, oppose it in another way. Then. But yeah, because I think, yeah, we, we get so used to the, oh, you're playing respectability politics, well, bitch, duh. But what is my respectability politics when as a tutor, I decidedly come to my class in my heels and capes and you have to listen to me because I am the tutor and I can explain the concept much better than you. What then? That is me leaning into the respectability of having the power 
but using my body as visibility and using that visibility to challenge your assumptions about queerness. And, and I think say using respectability in that way is way more is way more effective in a lot of times than just being oh my just queer I'm a done. Because that has value in certain spaces, but it doesn't have value in all spaces. And I think, yeah, yeah I think we should be careful of understanding the limits of respectability politics, but also understanding its use, because it can use respectability politics to open the door to other people to, other people to be a part of the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. and some other things. Um, Girl, to remember, the respectability piece. What was the last thing I did say to um, Kevin? Um, the last of the things you were saying about... The con- I mean, being oh, a part of the conversation. Yes, if, if I want to go straight people, when it comes down to, like, sister people, when it comes down to queerness, I mean, we want to be kidding for sometimes. I was on a clubhouse call just uh, with straight men and women. I mean, and granted, we did have some really great allies in that space. So as I say, you know, trans people won't tell you that they're trans at the start. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to kind of understand where they come from. And I, and it was just interesting hearing them curate and create these narratives about how trans people are and what they want. And I'm like, suppose me and Jamie are never in other space. And just <laughs> trans people are yeah. look very Christian because as this, the, the allies said, um, their life is rejection. They just want to be rejected peacefully and privately and go about their business. And that, that, and I think me saying that changed their mind. So sometimes where we can, we should see to, and I know a lot of people for all sorts of reasons. I mean, I got to tell nobody to be a champion um, in other workplace if they don't feel safe, but really it's just us showing up in these spaces um, that are going to make we able for answer, like, to be able to kind of push the needle forward. And then the last thing now I remember was that sometimes emotional value can be there get annoyed in the same troubles we chat. But I think <laughs> one thing I've learned is channeling the feelings and channeling the so when I'm in yeah. the spaces, um, I, I have to channel whatever I feel and stream it into whatever message that I want to deliver at that particular point in time. If I feel like it, because I mean. <laughs> Much as me is an advocate, me is not always an advocate 24-7. So me not always be a mega force, no issue, no sorry. Sometimes I just want to have space and relax and enjoy myself. So I really want to do all of that all the time. Um, but there is, I think there is value in emotionality once it's not the only thing that you're serving. Because if it's the only thing that you're serving, then if people never feel all oh, you feel, then oh, what emotionality are going to do for them? They're going to like excitement. I think... It's about kind of helping our commu- members of our community understanding how you channel that emotion into examples and, and parallels and conversations that people can understand. And one rule I always have, even if you're, if you're angry, don't ever get don't, don't make them know say you're angry. Sometimes the anger can work, but don't make them know say you're angry. Because anytime you're angry, you lose. That's why a lot of people don't realize. The minute you get angry, you yep. live because sometimes people are triggering you to get angry. Yep. Deliberately. Want, yeah, man. They want, they want you, they, they say things in your presence. You know, you ever notice certain topics gonna come up when you walk in the room? 
เดี๋ยวมาอย่าพูดถึงมันเยี่ยมมันไม่ไม่อีกโนร์เกมอีกโนร์เกมอีกโนร์เกมอีกโนร์เกมอีกโนร์เกมอีกโนร์เกมอี
between between Kevin and myself having um, worked for government and private sector, we've been able to to sort of build our 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 own reputation that speaks for us um, for the most for the most part. But then, um, I like to think about younger queer persons um, who are coming up um, who want to start who want to access these similar spaces, mm-hmm. but um, and Glenroy alluded to it uh, earlier, but really and truly their queerness or the emotions are really all they know how to project um, onto the world. And they're no less, no less competent mm-hmm. than a cishet person for the job. And what sorts of, because we're not, we're not really what you tell nobody says, you know, you have to go tone it down. Um, or whatever, but then I, I also get that <laughs> you have to do what you have to do, right? So, like, what is it that, what can, how can we have that conversation with somebody who is wanting to enter the space <clears throat> that we occupy or have occupied, but you know, say, them stay a particular way and you want to give them some advice as to how they can try and navigate those sorts of spaces. I think, um, well, um, <laughs> people, so workplaces, and as much as we are dispensable and workplaces will send you home, you know, because they have business goals and whatever, um, you, you um, can be valued um, if people consider you valuable, but I think it's important to focus on the value that you are adding. Um, focus fo- focus on adding value in everything that you do. Right? I mean, say I go be the super employee or you're going to try to outperform everybody else. It just means that you are going to show up and represent yourself. And I think right now, everybody is so focused on branding and personal branding. I think what needs to happen is um, in navigating, focus on that part of who you want to be. So you're working, but working towards, you're working within an organization, you're trying to get with an organization. How are you building yourself in the process? Um, it, and it may mean that your, your, your expression can continue you know, the way it is. Maybe it's just a, a right fit, meaning that you, you would taper it down, but always think about the bigger picture. I think some people get lost in the moment of a job um, and not thinking of what comes after. And so... They get consumed by the circumstance of the job and fitting into that job. Think about the career. What are you doing that is going to help you to grow beyond that point? And I know it seems big in the moment, but how I had to look at this when I started working, um, I was never just doing that job because a couple of years after starting that, other opportunities came up where I was able to do freelance and stuff like that. So I always was looking at doing other things. And it therefore forced me to um, consider the spaces and just consider how I um, not behave, but how I position myself for opportunities that were coming around the corner. So I think in this economy as it is right now, that's how I think some of us have to position ourselves. Think about how you are positioning yourself for the world, not the job, not this position, not this moment, not this circumstance. That's one way they can deal with it. Nice. Lenore, anything to add? 
Um, so for me, I feel like oh, yeah, I for also look inward. Some of we are shitty people. I'm sorry for saying some of we are shitty people because we have parent issues that we need to work through. Some of we are shitty people because we have friendship issues that we need to work through. And and it and, and sometimes a lot of that has nothing to do with our parents. As I did start out by saying people cannot like it because we're just not good people, right? Not that we're not good at all, but that we have character flaws that we need to look inward and address. Some of us don't have great work ethic. So it's so when you have the bad work ethic and then you have the marginalized identity, it, bam, why do I keep you, right? So Kevin is right. It's about how you present yourself in that space, how you show up, right? Me, me, me I'm not distinguished as a tutor of a faculty because no wear my heels or my capes. My distinguished got opinion that things don't make sense, right? And when I was working at the British High Commission as an intern, they didn't extend my time because it didn't make sense. I wanted to do even though I was one of these intern, they didn't make sure I worked for everybody, right? When we did a little judicial clerkship, feeling normal and manly, when we did a court of appeal, I make sure every court of appeal judge know my name because I did that with report everybody. That was me as a professional in that space, representing me, letting my work speak for me. As Javian always said, I don't come from an I poor. I come from poverty. All I have is my good name. And I think, because the, the, the queerness is the how, it's not the what. We need to work on the what that we present. Yeah, people, yeah. And then the how becomes less relevant once mm-hmm. the what is of a substantial quality. So some yeah. of us really need to take the time out to figure out what we are presenting as representing yeah. who we are. And then the whole will figure itself out as we come into our identities and, and, and we challenge the normative spaces that we're in. And I'm not gonna say that easy because everybody experience is different. But if it means say, you know, say your capacity limited certain way, but build up your capacity, right? You know, do your local toastmasters to improve your local speaking for that shorter audience. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, do your local extracurriculars and learn more about something. <laughs> you know, make, yourself, make yourself of value because, I mean, yeah. so now we, but we live in our neoliberal system where we're valued and devalued. And so if, we, if we're talking about workspaces, what you put forward after matter to you. And a lot of, I find that for a lot of people, um, what they put forward doesn't necessarily matter to them as it ought to. And then we kind of drop on the approach of the homophobia. And the homophobia is there, so you can clock it. But it's like, mm-hmm. even if the homophobia fixes them, that probably still fine, can you some of those things? Right? right? Like that, my good friend, I guess, what God is tomorrow, the homophobia done what then? We can have. Oh, so they have nothing to do with our queerness, and yeah. um, and what and, and as we do that, and we meet people as genuine people, mm-hmm. and everybody are gonna like you, no matter how genuine you are. Period. Because some people mess them on the spirit and take them, and I just so some me accept it. People never take me because he's a big personality. Oh, also okay with that. Everybody never like you. And some people don't even like them, much less. Everybody <laughs> like you. 
And that must yeah. be okay. And you must get me and my friends and eat your food and go out with your business after that. <laughs> it's also apartheid. Yeah. Everywhere. Why everybody love you and treat you like say, we's the world. Normal Listen, Glenn, the best piece of the best piece of advice. The best piece of advice. The best piece of advice I ever got years ago, many years ago, was this person who told me that um the person said, um, gay is not what I do, it's who I am. I'm kind of just like internalize that because I'm saying, okay, yeah, um, if it's who I am, I don't need to, you know, demonstrate anything. You know, if 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 how you show is one way, that's fine. But it's still not what you do. So what do you do? You have to figure that out. You have to figure out what do I do? What am I doing? You know, what am I known for? Or even beyond reputation, what do I do? And I think once you can answer the question, it helps because you can say, all right, cool, you know, this is happening here and there. But the what the what you do is very important. Yeah, very, very critical. Like these days, I only highlight my queerness if I'm trying to, to promote a particular message, you know, like say, yeah, you can be queer, you can be a damn good scientist. Outside of that, fuck everybody else. Well, you see where you get. Yeah. Kareem, <laughs> <laughs> you have anything to get master, girl? Um, I would say this is just like from personal experience, like don't feel the need to be a martyr or a savior or the champion of the gays. Like don't don't take on all of that. It is good to make whatever impact you can in your own small corner. Lord knows a movement will appreciate it and those the gays coming after us will appreciate it. But don't feel the need to be that person. I've been in spaces where Every little speaking engagement, every little panel, every little workshop that mentioned the friggin' alphabet soup, LGBTQ. Um, Kareem, are you available? Kareem can only speak for Kareem. He cannot speak for the L, <laughs> the B, the T, the I, Q, A, L, M, N, O, P, X, Y, and Z. He can only speak for Kareem. And so you can only speak for yourself. Don't feel the need to go out there and I beat the job about because then it starts to drain you. You start to lose sight of your own purpose. You start to lose sight of why you were sent there. And then you start to feel like, you know, like it was like, was it really worth it? Um, make the impact that you need to make, right? Don't worry about how big it needs to be, because I'm also one of those persons. But also don't feel the need to take on every single thing. Nice. Be captain save a game. You only have to save a hoe, Captain Save again. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, Kevin, thank you so much for this very candid and open conversation about. I mean, we talked a lot about work, but I think a lot of these lessons and conversations can be applied to like different spheres of our life, wherever we are and however we show up. I mean, we're defined by what we do. Cause people not gonna know all our way when they see it. So it's how we interact one-on-one and people might make assumptions about us, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, we control us. And if the space is not good for you, you always have the option of leaving. Cause that is always there. I mean, that's yeah. not always easy to do, but you have to also think about whether or not that space is good for you. But thank you so much. But I don't think that that conversation yeah, started it and done so. Yeah, we need to talk about, I, I think at some other juncture, um, definitely need to talk about privacy. I think Jamaicans have a way of have a way of dealing with privacy. And when it comes to queer people, it's a, it's a completely different rule. Mm. Yeah. 
because we use we use um, the reduction of privacy to take away people's dignity. We need to have a conversation. Then. So thank you, thank you so much for joining us at Fish Day. And I hope the listeners benefited from this very lively and fun conversation as well. Um, if you have any feedback for us or Kevin, you know, we can root it to him. You can um, come to our contact us on our social media pages at Fish Day Podcast on Facebook, Twitter and on Instagram and if you want to email us your suggestions if you want to be anonymous also if you don't have a burnout account you can you know do that at fishtpodcast at gmail.com so enjoy yourselves we hope you're staying safe if you're in a day finds with a snow day hold up a place more hope you know and keep safe mask up wipe it down before you put it down the motor and stop it and <laughs> as I always say Stay sophisticated. Bye bye. <laughs>